All right. Thank you all so much for coming. Um, I wanted to uh, say at the outset that uh, um, that we're going to be dedicating the uh, the following four shirim uh, for Rufus Shlema, for a, uh, a, a you know people say a dear friend, a friend who is very dear to me, somebody I look up to a tremendous amount, and somebody I learned from a tremendous amount. Uh, to David Henoch Mordechai Ben Freda Simcha should be for Rufus Shlema. Uh, definitely somebody that. Uh, that I feel, um, if you know him, uh, definitely somebody I feel lives by many of the ideals that we're going to be learning about today, um, and uh, and somebody that's taken the Torah of Rabbi Nachman, um, who has uh, who who has definitely um, uh, illuminated many people's eyes to this Torah, and has done a tremendous amount of work in spreading this kind of Torah, and Hashem should Shavrach Shamaim, and Hashem should Hashem should heal him very quickly. Okay. Um, so, uh, so continuing on, I, I feel like I'm a little bit of a broken record because um, we were the previous series of Shurim that we were doing. We're talking about Rabbi Nachman's epic journey to the Holy Land and uh, his travels in 1798 and 1799 to Eretz the journey that we uh, that we read together until he got to Eretz We didn't really talk about the return yeah. journey, which is almost crazier. Uh, the return journey because of the dangers he faced there. They find themselves on like a warship and uh, they're going to be executed by the Arab mercenaries on the warship. They hide in a room. It describes the water filling up after a volley of uh, cannons and that the boat starts to take on water and uh, that, that Rabbi Nachman and his, uh, his follower together with him are climbing up on the beds to avoid the water. Really theatrical, crazy stuff. But Rabbi Nachman did make it back. Uh, and as we mentioned in those shirim, Rabbi Nachman commanded, he basically told his followers, anything that I taught, uh, he was 26 years old at the time, anything that I taught, any of my teachings that happened before I went to Eretz Yisrael should basically be uh, kind of disregarded um, and that really the wellsprings of Rabbi Nachman's Torah start to emerge after the trip to Eretz Yisrael, as we talked about, Rabbi Nachman was endeavoring to uh, acquire for himself mochin chadash, a new way of seeing the world, a, a new brain in a literal sense, uh, Eretz Yisrael uh, perspective on, on things. And, and as we'll see tonight, one of Rabbi Nachman's main teachings was, uh, was the idea that every place that a person goes in this world is, uh, is ultimately any place I'm going I am indeed journeying to Eretz Yisrael uh, so we're going to do four shiurim just to give an outline of hopefully Hashem should help us and that this should be uh, uh, what uh, our plan is so today tonight will be a sort of introduction of sorts to Rabbi Nachman his biography why we're talking about Rabbi Nachman why I think it's significant and important and practical even to talk about Rabbi Nachman of Reslov um, to introduce many of his concepts to go ahead and to uh, to sort of break down maybe the uh, the barriers sometimes that uh, that exist or the uh, I would say the stereotypical ways of thinking sometimes about uh, even saying the name Rabbi Nachman has like it's sort of like a lightning rod the way people react to it you know it's oh you're one of those um, and then uh, the second Shiur uh, Mirza Hashem next week yeah I think next week uh, Presence Day but. Uh, but uh, if for those that are here, we'll be uh, learning next week. But Ezra Hashem, um, I want to talk also about Rabbi Nachman's own uh, his own personality. Uh, what kind of a man was Rabbi Nachman? And then the final two shirim uh, will focus. We'll take a tour through uh, a text through some of Rabbi Nachman's central ideas. So tonight will serve as an introduction. And uh, in preparing for the shir, I asked a few of my friends um, because. Uh, I do this with a lot of trepidation. I almost said to myself, like, what the heck am I doing over here? Uh, you know, to talk about Eish Kodesh, that itself is a daunting thing. And, and who am I? In a very real way, not in like a fake uh, humility. Like, who am I? Uh, I haven't learned all of it. And certainly when it comes to Binachman, there's so many, uh, so many people who have done such amazing work in uh, making the Torah of Binachman accessible. Um, there are th- hundreds of thousands of followers, uh, people connected to his Torah. So what I'm really going to try and do is not give an exhaustive study, but rather a personal perspective, uh, and uh, and hopefully by communicating that, it will allow everybody here, uh, anybody that's listening, to go ahead and to create their own personal perspective, their own personal encounter to Rabbi Nachman. So in doing so, I asked my friends. I said, uh, "Give me a line off the top of your head. What 
when I say all people that, that spend a lot of their time learning Rabbi Nachman's works, what does Rabbi Nachman mean to you? And it's over here, and just to toss out a few things that, that, come, that come to people's minds in talking about. So one, one friend said, infinite hope in a hopeless world. That uh, you look at the world that is confusing and dark and complicated and, and oftentimes is, is uh, always tinged with suffering, especially for the Jewish people, personal suffering, national suffering, that Rabbi Nachman provides hope for that kind of an individual that encounters that uh, confusing world. Another person said, uh, quoting Eli Wiesel, Zechron uh, Levracha said, not just, the greatest story, not just the greatest Jewish storyteller, but the greatest storyteller of all time. We're going to talk a little bit about Rabbi Nachman's innovation of teaching uh, the deepest concepts in Judaism through simple stories, through simple uh, fables of sorts. And Rabbi Nachman was a masterful storyteller who uh, was able to weave uh, both uh, within the overt narrative and the covert narrative of his stories, some of the deepest concepts in, uh, in, in Torah. Another person said he's not a Rebbe, he's not a Rebbe, he's the Rebbe. That uh, there are many Hasidic rabbis, but there's only one Rabbi Nachman. That uh, there are many rabbis that had followers, but Rabbi Nachman is totally unique in how he conceptualized himself as a Rebbe. And in a sense, Rabbi Nachman was able to crystallize uh, for many people what the inner life of a tzaddik is and what it means to be a tzaddik and what it means to be connected to a tzaddik. Uh, somebody else said, for all the worst things about myself and Torah that I've ever thought, and for all the best things about myself or the Torah I've ever felt that, or taught, Rabbi Nachman is the voice that says back, you're not wrong and here's what to do about it that Rabbi Nachman and when you encounter his Torah that it's immensely edifying in the sense that it, uh, it allows personal space it allows room to, to allow yourself and your own neshama to go ahead and to be refracted through this Torah and especially for me it wasn't, it, it wasn't I that said this but for me uh, talking about Rabbi Nachman is a deeply personal thing uh, and maybe if I, I won't be too annoying I'll, I'll, I'll say from time to time I'll intersperse what certain things mean to me uh, but certainly this sort of deeply personal aspect. I, I, I could swear that, uh, that when learning Rabbi Nachman, we're not supposed to do this, but when learning Rabbi Nachman, the feeling that I have uh, when you come across a line, uh, when I manage to understand something, is that there's a living, breathing person that t- that's talking to me right now. That, uh, that that's the feeling. That, um, that Rabbi Nachman's Torah is, uh, is a, is a a, a, a salve, a balm, medicine—it's—it's—it it's, heals, and uh, and I feel that in a very deeply personal way. And uh, and I would imagine the goal of what we're trying to do here is that if anybody has one thought of personal connection with this kind of a Torah through what the ideas that we introduce here, the introductions that I touch upon here, that would be a. A tremendous success. Uh, another person said that Rabbeinu, which is the colloquial way of referring to Rabbi Nachman, our teacher, Rabbeinu shines his light in the nooks and crannies of my life and dares to promise me that those areas too are holy. Our hangups, our trepidations, our anxieties, our, uh, our fears, our hates, uh, our loves, all of those things Rabbi Nachman, because of how deeply he engaged with the inner psyche of a Jew and the way that we, which we psychologically experience Judaism in our service of God because of the all-encompassing way that Rabbi Nachman and he always surprises you. Right? You always expect him to say something and then he comes in and he says another thing and his Torah takes a different turn. Rabbi Nachman always surprises but that he says that those areas that internal life, that too is holy. God is to be found in, in there. Um, and that uh, and, and another friend said he shoulders the load and he helps us get back to the beginning that my friend uh, said and I think in a very beautiful way and to almost uh, die it would be enough to come into for me at least in preparing to hear this idea that Rabbi Nachman always advocated even though there's, very, there's a lot of complex ideas, a lot of, uh, a lot of very deep ideas over here that Rabbi Nachman always uh, managed to encourage us to return back to simplicity to go ahead and to take all the complicated stuff, all the, when it comes to Torah and to put that aside and to say what I desire is simplicity, the greatest truths are always the most simple and Rabbi Nachman in a sense returns us constantly back to the point, he says all the cheshbonos all the different, uh, all the different uh, calculations and shikulim all the different things that we weigh at the end of the day that all comes back to simplicity, avodas Hashem, service of God is not an onerous, difficult complicated thing, at the end of the day the goal is simplicity and Rabbi Nachman often 
told us that he descended down into that complexity, that he dealt with that complexity in order to be able to give us like a kavanaki, a clean thing that we're able to go ahead and grasp onto and to say this is us and this is ours and this is what we can take and to help us serve God and have emuna and faith in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Uh, just to, to toss out one thing, we mentioned this week in Shul, uh, Torah from the Baal Shem Tov, Rabbi Nachman Abraslov's great-grandfather. So the Baal Shem Tov uh, talks about, we talked about Bilvavi Mishkan Evna, every Jewish person, Vasuli Mikdash V'Shachanti V'Socham, the Torah tells us, that we have to make for me a sanctuary, uh, sanctuary, and, and I, will, I will dwell within you. So in, in the Hasidic mindset, so that's a very real sense that God is present. Godliness is inherent and present within every Jewish soul, within the Pintal Yid that resides, the spark of divinity that resides in, every, in everything and in every person, and especially within the Jewish soul as well. Uh, so so Yenachman's great-grandfather, Baal Shem Tov, the Besht, said on the Pasuk Dama, from Pirkei Avos, sorry, from the second parak of Pirkei Avos, I believe it's Mishnah Vav, says, Dama Lamalamimcha. You have to know which is above you, which one would ordinarily take to understand. Know what's, uh, know what's above in the heavens and the lofty heights that are far away from us. The Baal Shem Tov says that you have to go ahead and you have to shift the kama, that you have to go ahead and put the kama, kama mincha. Knowing what is above means to know oneself. That through knowing oneself, through self-knowledge and through delving into the depths of one's own personal psyche and the way in which we experience the world and Torah and Avodah Hashem and our doubts and our hang-ups and our fear, all that stuff, all of that is a spark of godliness. All that is within us. Rabbi Nachman, in a very real way, actualized that teaching. So what are some of the main ideas uh, of Rabbi Nachman? You could see there is an old picture. It's, it was better in, in, uh, in the sepia color that, uh, that I originally took it from. Is an image of the Tzion of Rabbi Nachman of Resul. Now there's a much more beautiful building on top of it. There's a much more, uh, it's a whole thing now. It's basically a city is developing now uh, due to the massive pilgrimage every year, uh, not just on Rosh Hashanah now, but really throughout the year to the great site to Rabbi Nachman in accordance with his wishes, especially in Rosh Hashanah. But that's a picture of old Hasidim you can make out in the foreground that are sitting outside of the Tzion, outside of the Kev of Rabbi Nachman. What are some of the main ideas of Rabbi Nachman that we're going to touch upon in the future Shurim? So I'm just going to go ahead and toss out uh, eight eight key core ideas, and, and this is by no means an exhaustive list, but eight core ideas of Rabbi Nachman. The first, and in no particular order, and no particular chashivas, because they're all important, is Rabbi Nachman advocated for a person to be comfortable with themselves, to be comfortable with being alone, to be comfortable, uh, not just comfortable, but to go ahead and to set aside time to practice being alone. And to practice uh, being alone means no one is ever alone, but to be alone with God and to disconnect from the noise and the confusion of the world and even the regular order of service of God that one might find in a shul or in our schools or in our educational institutions and Bate Medrash, a shasis bodedus, an ability to go ahead and to be mitbodeid in kono, to be separate and alone with God Almighty. And the Yishbuch Sicho, Hishtabchus HaNefesh, which is the name of a collection of, a, a later connection, collection of Rabbi Nachman's ideas, to pour out one's soul, an outpouring of the soul before God, God, and to, uh, like, a, like a, a child before their parent, to speak to God in the vernacular, in their own language, and to be comfortable being alone, and it's still a practice of rest of Hasidim, and it is a very difficult thing. I've tried it, and I, once upon a time, I, I, I maybe had a little bit of a practice, and it, it's basically nearly impossible, and, and, I, and, and I struggle with being alone. It's a scary thing, um, but... Uh, but, uh, but this is a practice that Rabbi Nachman, not only Rabbi Nachman advocated for, but many other Hasidic rabbis as well. I believe that we mentioned from the Piazetzna Rebbe in Savazeros, who mentions and recapitulates this idea without citing Rabbi Nachman, uh, but probably from his own self, Midilei, uh, the idea of being alone and being comfortable being alone. That idea of his bodhidus, while it appears in many places in Rabbi Nachman's writings, to be able to be alone, uh, deep in the forest, Rabbi Nachman apparently in his youth would get out on a canoe and would go ahead and would row down the river, even though he didn't know how to swim, in order to just get away from people, in order to just get away and to be alone with his creator. That appears in Likutim Aran, Tinyan, if you're interested in the source, in Tinyan at Sadivav. The second idea is the interface of Torah and Tefillah. 
that uh, us Jews sometimes bifurcate between our intellectual pursuits and maybe our spiritual pursuits. That we go ahead and we say, okay, now we're doing Torah learning and we're intellectual and we're studying and we're trying to amass ideas and connect ideas and engage in intellectual pursuit of Torah. And tefillah is something different. Rabbi Nachman argued, uh, uh, well, communicated to his Talmud, Rav Nassim, to collapse those two ideas. To turn our Torahs into tefillah and our tefillahs into, and our tefillah into uh, to turn our Torahs into tefillahs and our tefillahs into etzos. That basically that when you learn Torah, it shouldn't just remain as a mufshat, as a separate intellectual endeavor, that when we go ahead and we study Torah, that that should actually be an act of prayer, a prayerful study, a prayerful intellectual uh, account. And also when we learn, uh, when, we, when, we, when we pray, that that itself is an intellectual endeavor, that we should study our prayers and we should go ahead and understand what exactly it is to be masader our prayers, to organize our prayers before we speak to God. A very real emphasis on tefillah. Another concept that Rabbi Nachman talks about is the learning of halacha, that all of these lofty concepts, all of these uh, interior concepts are nothing if we don't cleanse ourselves with the study of halacha, if we don't go ahead and have a tabula rasa, clean slate through the clear study of halacha, because Rabbi Nachman often brings us into the interiority of spiritual life. And the interiority of spiritual life, as we all might know very well when we, when we stop to think about it, can be a turbulent, doubt-filled place, sometimes filled with darkness, hopefully filled with light. Uh, the learning of halacha is actually an activity that goes ahead and centers us not on uh, areas of doubt, but on areas of psak. All right, psak is osio suffik. Suffik is doubt, samach pei kuf. Psak halacha. When we say this is the halacha, this is what you go ahead and do. Studying shulchan aruch. Rabbi Nachman exhorted his followers to study every day when you wake up to study shulchan aruch. And to focus seriously on the study of halacha. We'll talk later on about how Reb Nassim turned uh, Shulchan Aruch itself into his magnum opus, Likute Halachos, where he interspersed each halacha with Rabbi Nachman's Torahs, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. The learning of halacha as a way in which we combat doubt, in which we go ahead and we allow ourselves to catapult into the world, the inner world, the pnimi, with the firm footing in Psak Halacha, to avoid doubt with the concept of Psak Halacha. That appears in Sichas Haran, uh, which which we'll be studying from in the last two shiurim. Uh, a fourth idea is labit tzadik, to look at the face of tzadikim, to constantly endeavor to connect oneself with tzadikim, with righteous people, not in the sense that we, uh, that we need intermediaries in our avodas Hashem. Every Jew's heritage is an unmediated encounter with the divine. However, Rabbi Nachman said that we get by with a little help from our friends. We try and gather together with other Jews in order to allow us to elevate ourselves and, uh, and certainly, as we started off this year with quotes from my friends, I, I certainly uh, am an advocate for that. I believe that that's true. That we receive chizuk, we receive strengthening in our avodah Hashem, in our own personal hangups by connecting with fellow seekers, but, uh, but also to have an or, a, a figure who's done all this before us, who's, who's, who's waded into these uh, streams of doubt and into these worlds of darkness and who's been able to bring up something beautiful from that to allow a tzaddik, somebody with, who, who enjoys a much closer connection with the divine, to be our guide in that process. And that appears, uh, that appears often in, to- well, first it appears in Torah Dalid, right? In Likut Maran, Rabbi Nachman's magnum opus. So we call, we refer to the different teachings as Torah. So in Torah Dalit, the fourth teaching, so he advocates very strongly for this concept of, of connecting constantly and working hard to connect to a tzaddik. Uh, the fifth concept that we have is Nikudos Tovos, that a Jew should always search for the goodness within everything, that we shouldn't have an Ayn Ra, God forbid, a, a negative perception of the world, even when that world uh, can be quite negative on the surface, that we always look for Nikudos Tovos, we search out for those good points, whether it's the good points within an individual, that thing that we could point to and say, ah, that's, that's the redeeming quality, that's what I want to focus on, or we could go ahead and we could look at events and we could bring out, okay, something bad happens to me, what's the Nikudos Tovos here, what's the good point within these things, and these good points, when you look around and you study reality 
through this lens. So these good points are everywhere. And eventually it's no longer just a good point, but it's a massive encompassing circle of goodness that allows us to live our lives in consonance with Hashem's will. Uh, that appears in Rabbi Nachman's, I would say, one of the most important teachings of Rabbi Nachman, which is Likut Maran Kama Torah Reish Pei Beis, which is one of the most important teachings of Rabbi Nachman, which we'll be able to look at in, a, in the future. Another idea is the visiting of the grave of the tzaddik, the connecting to Rabbi Nachman of Breslov even after his death. The Rabbi Nachman said that he told people uh, before his death, he told his, uh, he told his gathered chassidim, he died at a very young age, as we'll soon see, he said, What are you guys worrying about the fact that I'm going before you? Rabbi Nachman says, I will continue to call out from beyond the grave, to go ahead and continue to function as a tzaddik, even though in, corp- in, in the corporeal sense I'm no longer here. Uh, Rabbi Nachman also said that there's a specific time with which his grave should be visited. He said, and uh, in, a, in an almost miraculous, I think it's nothing short of a miracle that the uh, Ukrainian rabbi who died, uh, who died over 150 years ago, that people are still uh, gathering by the thousands, the myriads are gathering uh, to be close and to feel that presence in Uman, uh, which is the, the, the burial place where Rabbi Nachman passed away, he lived out his final months there, and uh, he said to come on Rosh Hashanah is its own unique thing, my whole uh, essence Rabbi Nachman said a few things were his whole, his whole essence, we'll see. He said, my whole essence is Rosh Hashanah. And in a, maybe just to toss out what that might mean is that Rosh Hashanah in Jewish thought is always associated, and halacha is associated with harshness, with judgment, with a sense of foreboding, of being judged, and, and having our deeds come to an accounting uh, before God. And it is a day that we approach with tremendous trepidation sometimes, the days of awe. Rabbi Nachman said that Rosh Hashanah is a day that could be sweetened. That feeling could be sweetened, just like Rabbi Nachman sought to sweeten reality, that we look through the harshness for the nekudos tovos, for those good points. So the way that that is localized in time is through the holiday of Rosh Hashanah, which is the holiday that Rabbi Nachman most closely associated with himself, and it's the holiday that we most closely associate with him. Seventh idea is the idea of Tikkun Klali, that Rabbi Nachman went ahead and he uh, arranged. Uh, it's probably his most simple teaching, I think I say deceptively simple because it's really just an organization of ten kapitlach tehillim. It's mentioned in Likut Maran Tinyana. He mentions the practice also in uh, also in Sichas Ran. There's a, a longer explanation of it. Rabbi Nachman said that one has to go ahead and recite these psalms, uh, preferably at his gravesite, but reciting these ten psalms, which run the gamut of the ten types of song that appear in, uh, in Tehillim, Sefer Tehillim, is ten different types of song, ten different types of introduction. So through actualizing or articulating these ten types of song in Tikkun Klali, so one goes ahead, not only do they connect with Rabbi Nachman through fulfilling this teaching, but they run the gamut of, this, of Sefer Tehillim. Uh, it finishes off, for example, with Alnaros Bavel, is the ninth of the, of the Kapitlach Tehillim that we say, the Jews, uh, the song that isn't a song, how can we go ahead and sing the song of God on foreign land by the rivers of Babylon? And then there's Hallelujah, which is the tenth, and then back again, Maskila David, that Rabbi Nachman covered that. And the person that says that every day as a practice through ritual recitation is going ahead and is achieving a tikkun, a rectification, is specifically meant for sins of a sexual nature, but also it's a klali tikkun that it uh, really goes ahead and it's a, it's a way in which we go ahead and reconnect ourselves with the words of David HaMelech and through that to God. Um, so many, many uh, people I know, uh, myself included, uh, carry around uh, tikkun klali and when you have a chance, uh, try and say it every single day. It takes roughly about 15 minutes and you start to know them Baal Peh and it's, uh, and it's an amazing, uh, amazing thing. Um, the, uh, the last idea that I want to mention uh, just in connection with our previous series is that Rabbi Nachman uh, uh, articulated very strongly a deep connection to the land of Israel. As I mentioned before, Rabbi Nachman said, Every place I go, I am going to the land of Israel. We'll see Rabbi Nachman moved around often in his short life. And that Rabbi Nachman also, another, My whole being, everything I have, is the concept of the land of Israel. Uh, in the sense, I would understand, we talked about Eretz Yisrael, is Yashar El, uh, that it's a place where Judaism finds its most 
fullest expression, which cannot be found in the, in, in, in the exile and in the diaspora. And Rabbi Nachman advocated for a Judaism that is both landed and connected to physicality and connected to, to the real tangible aspects of this world that even uh, to Jews in, uh, in the 18th century Ukraine, this was a deeply important concept to emphasize for them because Eretz Yisrael was a dream. Right? It's a dream that we've realized in a miraculous sense. It's a dream to go ahead and to bring that very real, tangible aspect of Judaism into people's lives is a tremendous teaching of its own right. Some of the famous lines of Rabbi Nachman that you uh, may already be familiar with, and the truth is it's hard to say them without thinking about them in song. And the credit goes to a, a great musician uh, and uh, Balavoda, really, a person who himself is abreast of Chassid and a Balchuva, Yosef Karduner, Yosef Kardu- Rabbi Yosef Karduner, so he set many of Rabbi Nachman's teachings to song and really for many people and I think myself included listening to Yosef Karduna which was sweet acoustic music which is almost so beautiful to listen to so effortless and melodious to listen to and, and also very simple in a certain sense so for example uh, we'll go through about uh, four of these lines just to tell you you may be familiar with some of these Rabbi Nachman wrote in Likut Maran Tinyana Torah Memchas he said Vida person needs to know that a person, every individual passing through this life, we are passing over a very narrow bridge. The main thing is to not be afraid. That we find ourselves through our existence teetering on a narrow bridge. For some of us, it's the George Washington Bridge. We have everything uh, at our disposal with which to lead a happy, good, comfortable life. The kids are good. The family is good. Uh, our parents were good. Um, you know, money's not a problem. We had the good education. Nobody ever did anything bad to us. So the bridge is a wide bridge, right? But there's still precipice on each side. And for some of us, the bridge is a rickety, um, a rickety nothing. And we weren't given the tools with which to serve God uh, with joy and to serve God properly. And that bridge is the bridge that we nevertheless have to cross through in this world. There's other ways in which this idea is articulated. For example, um, you know, in the Mesil Yisharm, in the Akdamat Mesil Yisharm, he describes, This whole world is similar to a corridor in the face of the world to come. You know, imagine, uh, whether you imagine it as a bridge or a dark corridor, or if you imagine it as the Jewish people passing through a desert, life is indeed a journey. And the journey is to reach some sort of a hallowed destination be it Eretz Yisrael or be it Olam Haba, uh, and, uh, or a connection with, with something transcendent, uh, to walk over that bridge can be a very scary thing. And Rabbi Nachman says the main thing, is not to be afraid at all, that if one is fearful and you take your steps very gingerly and you're always constantly worried about falling off on the precipice on the side, you're not going to accomplish anything. The way to go ahead and to do it is even if it's that rickety bridge with the pieces falling out, so use it as monkey bars and swing across and do it with joy. Or if it's the George Washington Bridge, dance across with joy because there's no traffic in your way. And you go ahead and you experience your avodas Hashem, your, your service of God like that without fear so then you can accomplish amazing things. That's one famous line. Another line, uh, which is also a mitzvah from the Torah, God tells us in the Tochacha, He says that the, one of the main problems that God afflicts a backsliding Israel is that it's because he didn't serve God with joy and with the gladness of heart that, that, uh, the great, that a living hell would be that the Torah and its mitzvahs can seem onerous enough sometimes, too, uh, too much to do, too many restrictions, too many don't do this, don't do that. To go ahead and to live through a Jewish existence, especially if you feel like you have no choice to get out of it, and to feel that it's, uh, that it's a joyless thing, to never find the joy in that, that is a living hell. Uh, Sir Bin Achman told us, and the Torah told us, that you serve God with, uh, that's its own punishment, is serving God without joy. Now the Jew has to constantly struggle with joy. I, I mentioned an idea earlier this week, we are in Adar, tonight it's, I feel, uh, I'd be remiss if I don't mention tonight is Zayin Adar, Tonight is both the birthday and the yard site of Moshe Rabbeinu Raya Mehemna, right? So, uh, so, so it's very... Is that in Adar 1 or Adar 2? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to... Adar 2, didn't talk about any... So, 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 right, so there's no Hebra Kaddish. I know that there's no Hebra Kaddish dinner tonight, which, uh, which I've been privileged to be able to speak to. So uh, my assumption is that our show is going to follow the custom that will be held in other bays, other bays. Uh, although there are people that do hold that certain... Of, uh, you know, I'm learning with... Uh, 
with um, the eighth grade girls, we're learning there's a Mishnah in Mesechus Megillah, which actually establishes, right? What happens without a fixed calendar that you have an Adar Aleph, Vikarus Megillah, you read the Megillah, and then they realize, Venisabra Hashana, we have to go ahead, right? The lunar calendar 354, the solar calendar 365. Every once in a while, we have to go ahead and we have to realign because Chaga Aviv, Pesach has to be in the, in the springtime, Xeris HaKasav. So, so we have an Adar Aleph, an Adar basis. What happens if I went ahead and I didn't know it was going to be a it was going to be a leap year, and I read the Megillah in uh, in other Aleph. So you read it again, you read it again, and ain't bein other Aleph la other Bezel kriyas Megillah matanus levyonim bilva. And I said to my class, why do you think that matanus levyonim is the thing giving alms to the poor? Why is that the thing that you have to do again? So obviously, one of the they're all smart, they're all uh, brilliant young women. So they said because it's always good to give tzaka, right? So what are you going to go ahead and say? Don't give tzaka again. Read the Megillah, give tzaka again. It's going to hurt you to give tzaka to people. Call it matanus. Of Yonim also, if it turned out to be a Shnas Eber. But we digress. So, Zayin Adar, tonight is, yeah? I think this show doesn't say Tachem in both of them. Really? Say, yeah. Rabbi Riskin, you gotta. I, I mean, I'm assuming anything, anything cool here is Rabbi Riskin. I just, uh, <laughs> you know, it's. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, you have to look on the side of the Aron over there where our protocols are. That's. Uh, I, I realize every day, uh, I realize every day, and I'm rereading a. Rabbi Tulushkin's book on the Rebbe. Um, you know, Rabbi Riskin's... Rabbi Riskin is such a... What a great man. What a great man. I mean, we are so lucky that Lincoln's course, that this is our place. Rabbi Riskin is so great. Um, you learned a lot from Mr. Yeah. I don't know. So I, I like to say anything cool that we do is for Rabbi Riskin, but uh, it could be uh, just a land down as well. all the man that, that guided him I'm still a newbie. It's, you know, it's only, uh, what, it's only eight years now. I'm still new. Uh, so he said, Rabbi Nachman told us, he said, in, so, oh, so what do I want to say about Adar? What do I want to say about Adar? So we, the Gemara tells us, the Gemara says, Adar, Mar Av, So I don't understand if we have a commandment to always be B'Simcha from the Torah, to serve God always with joy, what's the Chiddush to tell us that when you come into Adar, Mar B'Simcha, you increase your joy? So I want to say the following thing, and this is in the vein of many people have said the similar idea before. Another Hasidic hermeneutic is the Yishef the, the Kama, you say, Mishnech, Jew always has to be besimcha. Sometimes we struggle to be besimcha, and it's a, a very difficult, depressing thing because we're not always successful. So, so you increase your joy. The, the baseline joy that a Jew is supposed to feel in this world, even that trying, the struggle itself. In other, we're commanded to do the struggle itself with joy as well. Rabbi Nachman told us mitzvah gedola lios besimcha. Tamid. Mitzvah Gedola is a great mitzvah. In, in case there were any doubts to it, it's a mitzvah Gedola, it's a great commandment. You always keep in your mind, in the same way you daven, the same way you say Krishna, and you daven Shemana Esrei, and, and you do, and you give tzedakah, all those things, you learn Torah. A Jew has to, has to endeavor always to be besimcha Tamid. And that's a statement in Likutum Arantin Yana and Chavdalid. Rabbi Nachman also told us similar, and I think in the same vein, in Olam Klal. He says, even though there's so many reasons, and we all be forgiven for giving up hope, right? It's been a long gullus, and uh, all you have to do is turn on the news, and, uh, you know, it's, it's so lonely to be a Jew. You know, uh, on the right, they have things to say about us. On the left, they have things to say. And we're like, we just want to go ahead and, like, you know, be safe and not be attacked and learn Torah and live Jewish lives and have Jewish families. And everybody has something to say. The world is obsessed with us, right? So, uh, so, so one could be forgiven, especially on a national level and also on a personal level to just say... To give up, to give up, um, Rav Shagar. Rav Shagar, who is uh, deeply connected to, uh, to Rabbi Nachman, and they put out a few years ago, they put out a few years ago, um, uh, Rav Shagar Shiurim on Likut Maran, two volumes of it. Rav Shagar writes in the back of, uh, my brother reminded me of this, Rav Shagar writes in the back, you know, so he's trying to think for himself, and you have to understand Rav Shagar also, because this isn't a particularly happy thing. He said, well, how would you sum up the Torah of Nachman? He says, I'll tell you a story. What's this story? Very Rabbi Nachman-esque. I'll tell you a story. There was once a, a Jew, a pious Jew, who was working for a very wealthy uh, landholder, and, uh, and uh, the Jew and his wife were praying for children, and they weren't answered, and it's a tr- one of the worst kinds of struggles that we can imagine. And then one day, the wealthy landholder came and took the Jew and said, you know what, I've had enough with you, and he tossed him into a pit, tossed him into a dungeon. And then at that same day, the landholder and his wife were blessed with a baby. End of story. 
Rav Shagar said that this illuminates to us the absurdity of our existence, the absurdity sometimes of what it means to live as a human being in this world, the absurdity of the evil that we experience in the world, the absurdity of our suffering, the absurdity of our tefillahs not being answered. It's absurd. doesn't make sense, right? The quid pro quo that we expected, serve God and things will be good, doesn't seem to happen. It doesn't seem to work out. It is confusing, doubt-filled, and is something that causes us to go, I give up, I give up. I, uh, uncle, right? God, you win. You beat me down. I, I thought that the answer was going to come. I thought I was going to go ahead and, 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 and be answered finally, that things would turn out well. It didn't. It still stinks. And it's even worse now. And it's absurd and it makes no sense what happened to the system that you told me to do. So Shagar says that that's, that's, that's Rabbi Nachman. Becholz us. Ein shum Jew doesn't give up hope. Jew serves God, not just for ourselves, but we serve God for God's sake. Right, that's to arrive at a true lishmat, to transcend the absurdity. And as we mentioned, the shiurim on the Ish Kodesh, that itself is transcendence. To be able to look at, at a horrifying, confusing, ridiculous existence and to say, Becholzos, you, you thought I would give up. You thought I would, right, it's like a game. You thought I would say that I would give up. I'm going to be superhuman. I'm going to still serve you. Right? I'm going to still go ahead and be Mizdabik Lakoni. I'm going to still go ahead and connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The last line, uh, and, and, and we'll finish with these famous lines, um, Rabbi Nachman says, Right, so Rabbi Nachman tells us that when a person comes to the understanding that everything, even the absurd things that happen to you, right, that it's all for our good. When a person is able even to articulate, that's the first step. Sometimes it strikes us as callous when people say, oh, you're suffering, it's all going to be for the best, right? You're experiencing a loss, God forbid, you're experiencing an illness, you're experiencing difficulties with your parnasa or difficulties with your family, whatever it is, right? Don't worry, it's going to be okay. So to hear from somebody else is sometimes quite offensive, Right? To hear from somebody else, to go ahead and to feel that our suffering is minimized is quite an offensive thing. Rabbi Nachman experienced the tr- a great deal of suffering, great, great deal of suffering, and, and acquires an, an added degree, not that he needed an added degree of authenticity through that suffering, through his ideas, right? To, to hear a person that lost four children say, right? To a person that watched his successor, who watched the, the, right, the, a baby, Shlomo Ephraim, then said, this is going to be my continuation, right? And to watch, to watch the, the child wither away in front of him, to, for that person to say, that, that acquires a new urgency, that acquires a new level. To listen to that same individual who, who suffers immensely, great Yisurin from tuberculosis, to go ahead and to say, you should know, everything that's happening to you, maybe talking to himself even, everything that's happening to you, call Ma'orosov, all the things that befall you, ma'ora is like an event, an outside thing, the things that are foisted upon us by the world. To say that that's the tavaso, so Nachman says if you arrive at that level, if you're able to tell yourself, not some other person, not some rabbi telling you, oh, don't worry, it's going to be okay to poo poo my problems. But when you're able to tell yourself in an honest, real way, Zargit, it's also, this is also going to be for good. person that's able to accomplish that, zosa bechina in the ilam that's an aspect of bechina, it's an aspect of living in the world to come. In the world to come, it's an olam shakulotov. It's a world of all good. We have the ability now, even in a world that seems to be all bad, right? that seems to be quite, quite callous and indifferent to us, to go ahead and to say to that world, you know what, this is all good. This is all litavasi. You flip everything on its head. And a person, if you constantly do that, and if you really do that, you could actually arrive at a level where you're already living in olam haba. Nothing can affect, nothing can touch you. We talked about that uh, talked about it in one of the previous years. We talked about Rabbi Akiva saying Shema saying Shema when he was having his skin flayed by the Romans. That, 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 that too was a time for Devekas. He was in Olam Haba. He could be suffering the worst tortures in the world. Right? He could be hacking up his lungs. But it doesn't, it doesn't make a difference because this is, this is Olam Haba. This is also for the good. This is Gamze Ratzon HaKadosh Baruch This too is God's will. This too is, my, is, is Devekas HaKadosh Baruch I'm learning new things through this. So... The person that said all these things. So the person that said all these things, one of the things that we encountered in Nachman is that he, he allowed us to peer into the, the inner life of a tzaddik, to peer into the, to the psyche, the phenomenology of what it means to be a tzaddik in, in, in unprecedented ways. Right? And we have Nevi'im that talk to us about the inner, uh, uh, about the inner life of a tzaddik, right? I encourage everybody to take a look at Sefer Chabakuk, very, very short Sefer that I'm into Sefer right what? now. Chabakuk, Chavakuk, right? To look at that Sefer and, and how he describes his, his angst, his angst at, at, at feeling unanswered and feeling, uh, feeling that, uh, that, 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 that God has, has allowed terrible things to befall Israel. 
that God is Kivyachol ben Mesalik, his Ashkacha from the world, removed his presence and removed his, his divine mastery over the world and allowed people to run amok. Right, to allow evil to run amok. So we find the inner phenomenologies of prophets, but Rabbi Nachman extended this and, and it crops up everywhere. So Rabbi Nachman also said uh, incredible things about himself. And, and for many people, it's almost, I would say, we learned the last time about Minios, right? about the obstacles. And there are certainly obstacles in encountering Rabbi Nachman. All these amazing ideas, all these chidushim, all these novel ideas. So Rabbi Nachman placed Minios for us. It's not easy to access it. The uh, minyas are obstacles, right? Like we said in Rabbi Nachman's trip, that so many things stood in his path. So many things wanted to prevent him. Rabbi Nachman said the whole teaching of this trip was that a Jew overcomes obstacles, that a Jew doesn't let obstacles get in their way. So Rabbi Nachman also, for many people, one of the main obstacles is the concept of isparus, which we cannot, uh, we cannot move around but before we continue. Isparus, Rabbi Nachman said one, uh, wondrous things about himself. For example, if you look underneath the picture, now we're on our page. Uh, Rabbi Nachman said, Anish Pella, I am a, I am a wondrous person, right? I am a wonder. Vinishmati Pella Gadol, and my soul, right? The soul, the, the soul that, I've, that I carry in this world is also a great wonder. It's a wondrous thing. Chidush Kamoni Lohaya Meolam, the subtitle of our Shir, there's never been a Chidush quite like me, right? Rabbi Nachman understood himself to be a totally novel concept. Now, one could read that. And could say this is a, quite an arrogant, Khalila, quite an arrogant thing to say. And the truth is that we have precedent for it, right? We we know none other than Hillel. What did Hillel say? Imanikan Hakolkan. If I'm here, everything is here. Uh, it seems like an arrogant statement. We're talking about Hillel, right? Hillel Azaki, right? But the idea over here is that uh, is that true Anava, and and I'm going to ask you to to take the plunge, to to come along with me and to submit that that perhaps this concept is true, right? To submit to this and to say. That true anava does not mean to go ahead and to make oneself a smartut. Does not mean to go ahead and to make oneself into a, into a rag for everybody to trample over and to self-deprecate and I'm so bad and I'm so pathetic. That's for me to do, right? So true anava, <laughs> true anava, true anava means to recognize oneself. And a person who is so, who is so fixated on, on encouraging Jews to encounter their interior lives, to counter God through, 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 through the panemius, through their own inner self. So he was deeply in touch with his own inner self as well. And he, and he recognized himself that he was a, a, a Ish Pella. I read this after, after many years. I don't mean this to sound this way. Many years since I've encountered Rabbi Nachman and, and, and having learned a little bit of it, and I would say that he's completely on the mark. This is a tremendous novelty. This is a tremendous... Look at, look at, take a look at what my friend said on top. Right? And they're not the only ones. People have much more to say about this. Right? Rabbi Nachman said, He also said that despite the fact that he was a great novelty, you too can be a great novelty as well. Right? No Jew, right? what does it mean to become old? It means to become old is right? to become stuck and entrenched in one's own ways. Right? To constantly renew oneself, to constantly go ahead and seek his chadshus means to be forever young. Right? So Rabbi Nachman said, everybody can come to this level. Everybody can achieve this level of, of ish pella, of a wondrous, you could be a wondrous person, you, should, you could all be a chiddush, we could all be a chiddush, we could all be a novel concept. Right? He says, If we would work hard enough, if we would struggle hard enough, if we would believe in the struggle, if we would believe, that if our hard work, that we, that we, that we worked, one moment, that through our hard work, we, we really put ourselves to it, then, then, then we would be able to do the same thing. So, so he goes high, he goes low. He, he, he goes very personal, and he goes to other people. Constantly oscillating. We're going to see throughout, he goes high, he goes low, goes high, he goes low. In personal, deeply personal, Klali so deeply personal, whole world, always back and forth, lots of a show, running and returning. Rabbi Nachman says, this is a, not just an idea for Rabbi Nachman, it's an idea for his grandfather, for his great-grandfather. <laughs> Baal Shem Tov writes, Nigeris HaBesht, in the letter of the Baal Shem Tov, Baal Shem Tov's mystical ascent, uh, finding out when the Mashiach is going to become, when is the Messiah going to come? So, so he writes over there, he says, he says the main thing is, Lasos Yichudim Kamoni. You know, when I had an opportunity to, uh, to, to be in the presence of a person I hold, this one at Tzadikim, the door of Itchimai, Morgan Stern, so somebody told him, Somebody told them, they said, uh, they said, oh, you know, this guy sitting in front of you, pointing to me, he says, oh, he, 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 he teaches some Hasidus. 
He teaches some Hasidus on the Upper West Side. He teaches Hasidic ideas. So Vichemeyer looked at me, and Vichemeyer said, he says, what are you trying to do with teaching? I said, I try and give over a few ideas, try and say some, some nice things, hopefully to, to make a Kiddush Hashem. He says, he says, the main idea in teaching Hasidus, the main idea in doing this, is not that people think that this is some deep, uh, ama- we learned a great idea, or we learned about a, an interesting person, or we said, oh, that's, that's a fascinating concept. The main idea is Lassus, Yichudim Kamoni. That all of us can, can rise to those levels, can make unifications just like the Baal Shem Tov, just like Rabbi Nachman, that we could all be a Chiddush. Every Jewish person has a Chiddush, has a novel idea with which we are brought to the world to reveal to the world. Simple as that. Not a mystical concept. It's not the Kabbalistic concept. This is the Torah. Every Jew, we are here because we have something unique to contribute. We are Jews because we have something unique to contribute to Jewish people. We study Torah because we each occupy a unique letter, a unique os in the Torah, and we contribute to the continual revelation of Torah. Simple as that. Simple as that. To be like the Baal Shem Tov, that's one of the things he said to me. I already said in Shul, I'm not going to share the contents of the whole conversation. But he says, you teach Hasidus, teach Hasidus to people, the idea is... That is is not to just have a nice idea, is not to go ahead and to, to display a survey of a particular rabbinic figure or whatever. The idea is to go ahead and to make yichudim. That's it. To take the concepts and to put them into heart. To turn them into tefillahs. To say, I learned this. Now I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to daven over it. I'm going to pray to Hashem. Right? We learned something. We say, Hashem, God Almighty, Abatov, please allow me the ability, give me the ability to not give up hope. Give me the ability to persevere. And then we turn it into an Eitzah, a simple idea, an actionable concept. An Eitzah is that we go ahead and we say, how am I going to do We go around the table. I've seen rabbis do this. Is that Rav Dov Zinger does this. It's the most amazing thing. He says, what's your Eitzah? Right? So I'd say, Rabbi Freeman, you go ahead and you give an Eitzah uh, to, to Dorothea. An Eitzah is an, 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 an advice, a piece of advice, an actionable concept. He does it with eighth right? Graders. What's that? He does it with his eighth graders. Who, Rabbi Zinger? I don't know. I've seen him do it with us, the Chabura. It's amazing. He, for an hour, you sit around the table, we learn a line or two from Vidachman. He says, right, now, now write your own tefillah, come up with a prayer, right? Pray to Hashem over that. When you're done praying, now, now I want you to give a piece of advice. I can't do that. You have to be a virtuoso teacher to do that. And we went around the table, everybody gave advice to somebody else. How can they make that concept actionable? I think to yourself, how would you go ahead and you tell people whether you know somebody, right? How would you tell them, hey, you, don't give up hope. Rabbi Nachman's taught us, it's not, it's not even like that you can't give up, don't give up hope. It's that there is no such thing as giving up hope. It's just not a, it's just not a, it's not a concept. Not like There's no such thing as yesh. Once you believe that, so you could forge on. So then the, one of the final things Rabbi Nachman says, says, that when a person goes ahead, he says, I am a river that cleanses of all stains. That no matter how messed up you are, no matter how much you feel that you're, uh, that you're down in the dumps, no matter how much you feel God doesn't want you, all those stains take that, and this is the function of a tzaddik, and it's the function for me at least, the Rabbi Nachman's Torah, is to go and he says, jump into my Torah, jump into my river, get yourself wet with these ideas, take the plunge, take the plunge, believe in it, Right? Uh, sacrifice a little bit of, our, of your rationale, uh, sacrifice a little bit of your yeshus, your own individuality, and, and, and try it out. And he says, you'll find yourself cleansed. Find yourself cleansed. To this day, Breslov remains a place, I'll take your question in a moment, Breslov remains a place for very broken Jews to go ahead and to repair themselves. Right? Uman is filled with people right, that, you, uh, that you wouldn't expect at any other kind of Hasidic gathering. Right? And that's, and that's, I, I would say, I would... I would, I would uh, I would suggest that Rabbi Nachman would have wanted it no different way. Ani nahar ha metaher mi Yeah. Is this, Aninar, is this where Nachman was coined? Say what? Is this where Nachman Nabeah I believe so. I believe so. That's an acronym, of course, Rabbi Nachman's name. Nachman Nabeah Mekor Chachma. Right? One of the ways in which we refer to Rabbi Nachman is a, a flowing river source of wisdom. Right? Nachman Nabeah Mekor Chachma. Right? So, anyway. Um, anyway. Moving, uh, moving on. So, so in the interest of time, in the interest of time, I want to go ahead 
and, uh, and, and just look at line number one, which is the, the source of the title, is that Rabbi Nachman, uh, Rabbi Nachman really did not have any successor. Right? The usual conception of Hasidism is that there's a Rebbe who has a, who has a successor, whether it's a son in the later stages of Hasidut, whether it was a close Talmud. Um, right? There's articles written about how maybe the, the sense of this passing through birthright allowed to a dilution of the ideas of uh, Hasidut. Uh, uh, there's a famous article got the author, uh, she wrote an article, an academic wrote an article uh, on the routinization of charisma, the passing over of uh, being a Hasidic leader, Birusha. Rabbi Nachman had no, uh, after he passed away, there was no, uh, there were teachers, there were, there's still to this day, mashpiim, uh, influencers uh, in Breslov, not like on Instagram, like influencers <laughs> in Breslov that go ahead and, and teach the ideas of Rabbi Nachman in a way that's unique and, and appropriate for, for each unique Breslov community and each generation. But uh, in a very real way, Rabbi Nachman uh, told his followers, and he said in source number one, Shamati mi echad, Rabbi Nassim of Nemerov says, I heard from one person, Rabbi Nachman has already passed away, that he said, my fire, my brent, right? My brent should stay uh, until the coming of the Mashiach. That the teachings of Rabbi was strong enough, the personality was strong enough, the chiddush, the novelty of what he was saying was strong enough that it would last until the coming of the Messiah. And certainly it is, uh, it's not just uh, waning or fading into obscurity, but it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. As the Gemara Megillah tells us, Tzadikim after mitasim kruim chayim, right? That Tzadikim, even in their death, they're called alive. And in a, a very real sense, that is, uh, that is so true. Rabbi Nachman is just as present and just as much of a force. And his teachings are just as much of a force in people's lives today uh, as, as in his lifetime. I want to just, um, in the interest of time, I want to skip to uh, section number two and just give a quick timeline of Rabbi Nachman's life. And uh, with this, we, uh, we will finish. We will finish. I promise. Um, so quick timeline of Rabbi Nachman's life. Uh, I would recommend, there's a, a great book. Um, it's an academic work, so you have to understand the context and the milieu with which it's written in. But uh, Professor Art Green has written a book called Tormented Master, uh, which, is, uh, which is really one of the first uh, academic works chronicling Rabbi Nachman's life. It's, a, I think, a fantastic book. Uh, there are people that point to certain objectionable things that he says there. Um, Rabbi Nachman can handle it. Um, and, uh, and if you uh, believe in uh, the Torah, Rabbi Nachman, you can handle it as well. Uh, he does uh, some very good research and work there. Uh, Rabbi Arya Kaplan has written a work, uh, Tzaddik, uh, which, uh, and, and has also done a lot of work in revealing the Torah, Rabbi Nachman, to the world, uh, which makes uh, a great deal of sense to me if you know anything about Rabbi Arya Kaplan. Uh, and then we have the Breslov Research Institute nowadays, headed by Rabbi Chaim Kramer, I believe, who uh, they have gone ahead. Uh, Rabbi Avram Greenbaum, Rabbi David Sears, there are many teachers of Rabbi Nachman's ideas and there's also a full English translation of Rabbi Nachman's magnum opus Likut Maran and uh, I believe it's now completely on safaria.com uh, as of last month so now the Torahs of Rabbi Nachman are completely accessible to the entire world time of Rabbi Nachman's uh, life April 4th 1772 Aleph Nisan Tav Kuflamid Bez incidentally also my own Hebrew birthday a son Nachman is born to Fega and Rav Simcha Medjibuz, Ukraine Medjibuz is of course one of the hometowns of, of uh, the Baal Shem Tov. Fega is the daughter of Udol, is the daughter of um, Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov. Rabbi Nachman's great-grandfather is none other than the founder of Hasidus, so already he's born into uh, one of the first families of nascent Hasidus. His father of Simcha is a, a, a son of Rabbi Nachman of Haradenka, who Rabbi Nachman, who is buried in Tiveria, who Rabbi Nachman, one of the express purposes of Rabbi Nachman's visit to the land of Israel was to go ahead and to visit the grave of his, uh, of his grandfather, Rabbi Nachman of Haradenka in Mezhbush. In 1785, at the ripe age of 13, right after his bar mitzvah, Nachman, Rabbi Nachman is married to Sasha, daughter of Avraim of Husyatin. At age 13, he moves into his in-law's home and he begins to attract his first followers on the day of his wedding. As the story goes, he attracted his first chassid, a man uh, quite a few years older than Rabbi Nachman by the name of Rav Shimon, who would stay with Rabbi Nachman for the rest of his life. In 1790, after the death of his father-in-law, Rabbi Nachman moves to Medvedivka near Kiev, Placht Kiev, and and assume certain roles of a Hasidic leader, more followers start to come to what is this wonder kind, uh, 
both a great grandson of uh, the Baal Shem Tov and a grandson of Rav Nachman of Haradenka, who was a close disciple of Baal Shem Tov, who was a, a preternatural talent in Talmud Torah, already quickly mastering all of the areas of revealed Torah and dabbling, uh, dabbling in the areas of the hidden Torah. In 1798 and 99, seeking a renewal, seeking a renaissance in his own personal way of thinking, Rabbi Nachman leaves his family, journeys to the Holy Land and return. I think those of us here know a little bit about that now, as we've talked about in our shiurim, the journey is absolutely pivotal in Rabbi Nachman's life. He articulates many times how close he is to death, uh, how willing he is to accept death, how willing he is at certain points on the way back to accept the life of transcendence of the revealed Torah. He says even if he was going to be taken captive uh, and brought to a foreign land where there's no Jewish institutions, where there's no way to keep a Torah life, he says, I will keep the Torah like the Avos did. I will keep Torah in an instinctual, uh, almost transcendent sense. So it's a completely transformative journey for him. 1799, Rabbi Nachman moves to Zlatopol, where he lives for two years and begins to encounter fierce opposition. Rabbi Nachman there coins the term, where he talks about Hasidic masters that seek to simply go ahead and develop their courts and to develop their power. Rabbi Nachman, for much of this early stage, actively pushes away followers. His followers encounter fierce opposition from uh, other Hasidic groups at the time, and uh, and, uh, he also encounters Counters um, the Shpaler Zeda, um, Rav Ariyelev uh, of Shpol. Shp- Shpoler Zeda, who, uh, who is Rabbi Nachman's fiercest opponent uh, and, uh, and takes issue with many of Rabbi Nachman's ideas and the way that Rabbi Nachman conducts himself uh, and the way that Rabbi Nachman spoke about Sadiqim of the generation, uh, other righteous figures that he found, uh, he found that were not uh, sufficiently respectful. In 1802, Rabbi Nachman moves to Breslov, upon which he is called the rest of his uh, rest of history, where followers coalesce around him. Amongst them, he meets, uh, he meets his closest Talmud, <laughs> Rav Nassim Sternhartz of Nemerov, who uh, lives to 1844. Rav Nassim Sternhartz comes from a uh, Misnagid family, a family that is not a Hasidic family, and becomes the chief disciple and uh, person that preserves and uh, is credited with the preservation and the dissemination and the basic codification of Rav Nachman's teachings. And Rav Nassim is a figure deserving of a series of shiurim in his own right. In 1807, his first wife, Sasha, dies from tuberculosis. Rabbi Nachman and Sasha have six children, six daughters, sorry, eight children, six daughters and two sons. Two daughters die in infancy. Two sons pass away in very young ages. Their surviving daughters were Edel, Sarah, Miriam, and Chaya. Rabbi Nachman suffered, obviously, to a tremendous extent from these losses. In 1808, he travels to Lvov to seek treatment from his tuberculosis, which he suffered deeply from. Rav Nassim describes how much he suffered. Uh, the treatments there, ultimately, Lemberg, Lvov, is already a more developed city. The treatments are ultimately unsuccessful. In 1810, his home and base Medrash and Breslov are burnt to the ground, and in the wake of the disaster, Rinachman moves to Uman. Rinachman had passed through Uman, which was a town that was inhabited uh, by uh, Maskilim, by people who were where uh on the surface, distant from Torah, Uman had also been the site of a tremendous massacre, where some reports say that about 20,000 Jews were buried there. Rinachman had mentioned in passing to his followers, it was reported that this is a good place to be buried, and uh, Rinachman decides to actualize that, uh, that thought. He moves to Uman in 1810, he spends about six months there, October 16th, 1810, Yudchas Tishrei, Tavkuf Ayn Aleph, which is in, I believe, the second day of Cholamoyit Sukkis, or the third day of Cholamoyit Sukkis, after a period of about six months, Rabbi Nachman dies at the age of 38. All this, everything that we're talking about, 38 years of life. And according to his wishes, he uh, turns out to be buried in Uman. And uh, some wondrous, wondrous things happen. Rabbi Nachman's final time there, he begins to tell his famous stories. He interacts with masculine people uh, that you would never expect a Hasidic master, uh, especially one who is deeply ensconced in the world of Hasidus, uh, to go ahead and to do. Rabbi Nachman's farim, and we'll finish with this, and... Uh, um, as is Kedarki uh, Bakodesh, we did not uh, accomplish nearly what I had wanted to set out to accomplish. Rabbi Nachman's main svarim are the following. There's Sefer Hamidot, which is the only work that we really have from before. Rabbi Nachman's trip to Yisrael consists of really one-line aphorisms, uh, one-line Torahs that are deeply cryptic, but upon study reveal great wisdom and understanding, uh, arranged according to the Aleph base thematically. Then there's Likutim Aran 1 and 2, Kama and Tinyana, which is Rabbi Nachman's main work, his most famous work, which is organized and edited 
narrated by his student Rav Nassan. There is Sipure Maisios, which are his um, 13 stories. There are many other stories that Rav Nachman told. Professor Tzvi Mark just released uh, two years ago or three years ago. Kol Sipure Rav Nachman of an academic study of all the stories told in the name of Rabbi Nachman, some amazing, amazing things there. But Sipure Maisiot has 13 stories. There's the, um, you may have heard, let's see, you know, you, all right, maybe we'll talk about Sipure Maisiot at a different juncture. Some of them are quite famous. You may have heard of some of the smaller stories, for example, the prince who thought he was a turkey, uh, or uh, uh, the, the wedding of the lost, the wedding of the two orphan children, the story of the seven beggars, one of the most famous of the Sipure Maisios, the lost princess. Uh, fantastical stories that uh, really could find their, you could find, the, they could, could only be from like a Havdil Tolkien, or, uh, or, you know, one of the, or, ha, or, yeah, or right, the, the, they're, Storytellers of the time. They are incredible stories, and likely the first stories told in Yiddish literature. Uh, there are uh, there's Sefer Haganus and Sefer Anisraf. Sefer Anisraf was a book that Rav Nachman uh, told Rav Nassan to start copying. Rav Nassan uh, almost finished it, was terrified by its contents and awed. And after the death of Rav Nachman's son uh, Shlomo Ephraim, he commanded the Chassid Rav Shimon to burn it. Then there's Sefer Haganus, which is said to be of an even higher kedusha uh, Sefer that was never seen by anybody else's eyes. Then there's Chayei Moharan, which is collections of Rinachman's ways in which he had conducted himself in the day-to-day. Shiv Chayaran, uh, which is the story, has the story in the second chilek of Rabbi Nachman's travels to Eretz Yisrael. Sichot Aran, uh, this one. Rabbi Nachman, Sefer Amidos, Likut Maran is reported directly from Rinachman's mouth. Sipurei Maiso is also directly from Rinachman's mouth. Sefer Agonis and Sefer Anisraf, apparently he wrote, um, but most of this is edited and organized by Rav Nassan. Um, then there's uh, Likute Eitzos and Tfilos, which are uh, holy works that are collected, uh, prepared and edited by Rav Nassan. Um, so I want to end with Tfilah. I know that I'm about to go over my time. My Tfilah is that... Um, is that when uh, Rabbi Nachman starts out one of his famous Torahs, Likut Maran 20. Rabbi Nachman says that when you start to interpret Torah, it's the way that you should, bring, the way you should bring in, begin interpreting Torah quite cryptically, he says you should bring down burning coals. You should, Hello, cold, Hello, cold, cold, God says my words are like burning flame that come out, that we should warm ourselves with these words, but that when we interpret these words, and the bold did one, only after we go ahead and we believe in it, and we take the plunge, and we allow the burning fire of these words, and to allow ourselves to be taken along in the stream of Rabbi Nachman only afterwards may one begin to teach and hopefully that's what we're going to do we're going to teach each other to open up the rock to turn the lave Evan to turn the rock uh, the, the calcification of our souls to burst it open to find the, the breast love the lave Basar the, 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 the soft beating heart underneath the heart that opens itself up to words of Torah, words of Hasidus, and hopefully the words of Rabbi Nachman's Torahs begin to flow. Yehiratsa, may it be Hashem's will. Uh, they gives us the ability to go ahead and to, to touch a little bit of Rabbi Nachman's fire, to touch a little bit of Rabbi Nachman's Torah, and to use it to edify us and to prepare us, uh, all of us, to elevate our service of God. That should be Hashem's will. That's our final tefillah for the evening. 